you can never go home again. Those were the words that shook him to the core and reverberated through his body as he made his way through the shadows of the trees and the tears of his eyes to this place he'd only heard about growing up as a kid in hushed whispers. He shivered in the night air, but it wasn't the cold that shook him. It was the reality of what lay before him. And those words that haunted his heart, you can never go home again. He pictured his kids waiting for him in the doorway of the home he'd built with his own two hands. And he imagined his wife and her warm smile and welcoming eyes just waiting eagerly for his embrace an embrace that would never happen, could never happen. He'd never be able to touch her again, to hold her, to kiss her. He'd never be able to pick up his little boys and throw them on his shoulders and carry them around the yard. He'd never be able to kiss his daughter on the forehead. Never, ever again. And the horror of these realizations sunk deep into his soul and overwhelmed his heart. But soon all that was eclipsed by the scene that opened up before him as he neared the clearing of the crest of the hill. And there in the moonlight, he saw something that gripped his throat in a stranglehold of terror. He couldn't move. Nothing could have prepared him for this. Hundreds, thousands of ghostly forms draped in rags cast shadows in the moonlight as they moved or sat motionless and like a trance. This low-grade moaning and groaning hung on the stale night air. And suddenly a shriek woke him out of his stupor and he turned to see someone screaming and yelling and rolling on the ground like a ball of fire. And he rushed from the clearing to join this gathering crowd. But by the time he got there, someone had covered the burning man with a blanket and extinguished the fire, but nothing moved under the blanket and nothing made a sound. It was too late. Well, falling asleep close to the fire will do that to you, somebody said cynically, especially when you can't feel your own skin anymore. Those words caught his attention and lifted his eyes, and there in the flicking, flickering firelight, he beheld his worst nightmare. There he saw his future on every face. Disfigured human forms, Faces missing noses and ears and patches of skin. Fingers gone, toes gone, legs and arms gone. How did he come to find himself surrounded by the walking dead? The scene straight out of the pages of Dante's Inferno. And there they all stood, tanking in briefly, and then suddenly as they'd gathered, they shuffled away and disappeared into the shadows and just went back to doing what they were doing before. Tonight's entertainment was over. Back to life. Back to reality. But now back with this new reminder that this could easily happen to any one of us. If we live here, we all suffer from this same disease. And who'd ever thought that, like, this could have all started by this simple act of finding a deserted hammer on a dusty road. He picked up the hammer, you know, just a few short weeks ago. He took it home. He finished his project with it. A few days later, the sore appeared. 
and it didn't go away, and he got worried, and after a few days, he showed his wife, who persuaded him to go into town and talk to the person who seems to know about these things. At first glance, when the old man looked at it, he paused, and his eyes fell upon the sword, and then looked up with a heavy reservation. Don't go home tonight, he said. We'll make a place for you here by the fire. Let me study this sword for a bit. The days come and go, and the silence is infuriating, but the sore is getting bigger now, and it becomes white on its edges. doesn't cause much pain, but it looks horrible, smells even worse. And after two weeks, the man says, uh, I-, I figured out what you have. I'm sorry, but I've got to tell you the truth. You have leprosy. You're going to have to leave your wife and children, your land, your home you built, your job, and go off to live with the other lepers in that colony for the rest of your life. You can never go home again. Just one more time. Can I go back? Can I tell my kids goodbye? Can I hug my wife? Never. You can never go home again. And now he hears here in this new home, this fortress of desolate solitude, and every week he watches from a distance as his wife and kids put food and supplies on a rock in that clearing where he stood the first night. And time passes excruciatingly slow. And week after week, month after month, he hides behind a tree and sees his kids steadily growing. He sees them through the rags that cover his face now as they place supplies there and food there for their ghost of a father. More myth than man. And he longs to touch him. He just wants to hold him and tell him how much he loves him. He yearns just to hear one simple story from their day. But this, this is as close as he'll ever get. Behind a tree, behind rags, looking on from a distance. Days, weeks, months, one day he goes into town to get food and supplies from the kind people who leave their extras on the back porches. And he has to scream out, leper, unclean, I am a leper. It's more of an identity than it is a disease at this point. Now on this day in the distance, he hears the sound of a crowd approaching. He sees him rounding the corner of the street and walking towards him, and suddenly he realizes what's happening, and all the commotion. That man walking in front of him, that's the one who I keep hearing about. This entire region's talking about him, telling stories, stories that have even made their way to our colony. There's stories of this man, he's healing the sick, he's casting out spirits, and he's doing all sorts of things. That's, That's him right there. But the crowd is closing in, and he's out of time. So he does the only thing he can do. He falls down into the dust and cries out. And Luke records this story. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I think at first glance, to many of us, this seems like just another healing of another disease. But leprosy was the scariest disease you could even consider in that time. Take, take the fear surrounding the coronavirus and dial it up to 11. With leprosy, you didn't just die. Dying would have been a relief. 
Your skin was literally rotting, your body falling apart. In most cases, it was contagious back then. Leprosy was not just a disease that caused great physical pain, but it also caused eventual numbness. Your nerves died. You couldn't feel or touch anything. If a dog was chewing on your foot, if your clothes caught on fire, if you cut your finger slicing the vegetables, you'd bleed to death, you could burn to death, and the rotting skin resulted in ears and nose and fingers and legs falling off. Leprosy destroyed your health. But that's not all. Leprosy destroyed your ability to work, to earn an income, to earn any sense of dignity. And even worse, leprosy destroyed your relationships. You couldn't continue with family. You were ostracized because you could be contagious. Because of all this, these ancient laws of many towns, villages, and cities, even the ancient Mosaic law given to the people of God, called for these people to be completely separated from society. They're not allowed to touch other people. They're not allowed to get within a certain radius of other people. They're not allowed to touch people's things or sit where people sat or gather where people gathered. It was the only way that they could ensure the contagion was contained. This disease was by far the worst thing that could happen to a person because leprosy completely destroyed your health, your job, your social standing, your marriage, your family, your very identity. Every aspect of your life was over as you knew it. For all intents and purposes, you were dead already. Your body's just slowly catching up. In fact, the term The Walking Dead that spawned the graphic novel and, and uh, the TV show is actually a term that's been used for a long time before the idea of zombies. It's a term that they used for lepers for years. In fact, many people believe that the legends of zombies may have drawn a lot of inspiration from lepers idea of people walking slowly along, flesh rotting, stinking, bodies falling apart, blank stares in their eyes, moaning and groaning and covered in rags. Because of this broken picture in Scripture, leprosy is often likened with sin. Because sin has the same effect on our lives. Now in our day and age, we don't tend to see sin the same way they did. When we talk about sin, when we see sin, we see sin as simple mistakes, errors in judgment, faulty coping mechanisms, maybe some self-medicating, some emotional disturbances, and so on. But in biblical times, people didn't make any bones about it. Sin was real. Sin destroyed everything. Sin was the cause for all the evil in the world, and sin was around us and within us and corrupting everything. They believed that. All of us are victims of sin. All of us are perpetrators of sin. Everything we hate about this world is ultimately the result of sin. I mean, think about it, and I, I don't like going through lists all the time when I'm preaching, but think about some of these words. Death, disease, famine, war, starving kids, egocentric politicians, corrupt governments, sexual brokenness, violence, racism, ignorance, all and so much more, the results of sin. And here's why they saw it that way, because sin disintegrates us. A healthy person is seen as somebody who has integrity, right? They're integrated, like, like that mathematical term, integer, whole, one, you know, for the carbs, so the math. <laughs> Their lives are cohesively held together. But the more sin is involved in a person's life, the more their life begins to fall apart, much like that of a leper's. 
the adultery that leads to the broken marriage and broken families, or the tax evasion that leads to prison sentences, or the rage that leads to the deep emotional scars in those people who receive it, the abuse that leads to the broken lives and the broken cycles, the racism that leads to perpetual injustice, the promiscuity that leads to the STDs, the lust for power that leads to war, the greed that leads to economic disparity, and on and on we could go. Sin is like leprosy. It tears your life apart. And the cumulative effect of all of us having been infected by sin, the cumulative effect tears our world apart. Our world is essentially a giant leper colony. And if we live here, we all suffer from the same disease. But Jesus comes to heal sin and the effects of sin and the leprosy we carry in our very souls. And this is all something we probably don't think about much in our day-to-day life because we're not surrounded by leprosy, right? But in Jesus' day, these things were obvious. Leprosy being a type of sin was just a presupposition. Everybody knew it. Everybody agreed. They'd been taught that. They thought of it that way. Every day, people were surrounded by lepers and reminded of it. So here comes this guy, our our friend with a hammer, coming into town to get some food. The one who will never go home again, the the one who will never, ever feel the touch of another human being again, the one whose life is over. And on this day, he sees Jesus. He falls in the dust and cries out as loud as he can, Lord, Master, if you are willing you can make me clean. And the crowd grows silent, and the tension of the moment is mounting, and Jesus cuts the tension with a response. Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. In that moment, everything changed. When Jesus heals this leper in Luke 5, it's a big deal. It's not just the healing of somebody who has a fever like Simon's mom. It's not just the casting out of a demon or the straightening of a back or opening of an eye or telling fishermen where they can find the fish. No, healing a leper was, is impossible. It's healing the unhealable, and it's the piecing back together of an entire broken life. Suddenly, this person can be invited back into society. Suddenly, this person can be united with their family. Now they can drink from any water fountain they choose. Now they can work a job and earn income and dignity again. Now they can hug their kids and their wife. For the first time in a long time, he can, he can go home. We tracking? This was not just the healing of some skin. This was the healing of a soul, a mind, a family, a life. And he's not just a nameless leper anymore. His identity is restored. This is a big deal. And the effect is unmistakable. Look what happens in 14. And Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus says, keep it quiet but this isn't something this guy can contain. Nobody can. A leper healed, impossible, miraculous. Suddenly, there's hope for any situation. 
Nothing is too hard for this Jesus. But what's even bigger than the healing of this person's body, bigger than the healing of their life, bigger than anything else that Jesus has done up to this point probably, what was bigger was not just what Jesus did, but how he did it. Jesus touched the leper. You get that? Jesus touched the leper. You see why that's such a huge thing? I, I love this about Jesus. Just think about it. How, how many years has it been since somebody had hugged this guy? How many years since he'd been touched by anybody at all? He couldn't even pet a dog. They'd have to kill the dog because the dog would carry the disease. No comfort. No physical interaction. Isolated a prisoner to his own rotting body. Jesus knows this and he reaches out and touches him. I mean, this touch says, I love you. I know you. I see you. This touch says, you're not alone. This touch says, I'm restoring your humanity and your dignity. This is Jesus loving somebody right in the middle of their broken mess. You ever feel like a leper? Jesus is saying the same thing to you today. I'm here with you. I get it. I empathize with you when no one else can. I understand you. I love you. I love the way Hebrews says it in chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness. Hmm. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know that part of why Jesus came on mission to us was so he could relate to us? To be tempted like us? to feel our pain and struggle and show us that he loves us, that, that God is for us. Jesus touched the leper to show him, God is for you, God loves you. And here's the thing, Jesus could have healed him without touching him, couldn't he? I mean, he does it all the time. Sometimes he just speaks and they're healed. Sometimes he sends a word to another town and people are healed. He could have easily done this any way he wanted, but Jesus knows that this leper needs love, and Jesus knows exactly what you and I need here today. Won't you let him heal you and touch your life? But here's the other thing. It was more than empathy. It was a message. You know, it's against the law to touch a leper. Here's a sampling from Leviticus 13. Old law. Anyone with such defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. If you touch the leper, you'd be unclean too. So there's a large likelihood if you touch the leper, you'd be infected and before you know an entire village, city, civilization could be destroyed, decimated by leprosy. So fear govern the hearts of the people around this issue. I mean, if just for a moment a leprous person grew weak while walking in a crowd and tired and they accidentally stumbled and bumped into you on the street or collapsed in a seat in a crowded marketplace, if their clothes touched your clothes, you could become a leper too. Before you knew it, before you're even aware of it, you could spread that disease to your husband or wife or baby. Entire family quarantined. I mean, think of coronavirus, think of zombies. This, like, 
This was the fear that governed the daily life of a civilization. But finally, here's someone who can heal it. He's the anti-curse. Death is flowing in reverse through this man. And not only does he heal lepers, he touches them when he does it. This was a statement. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not scared of your affliction. I'm not ashamed to be seen with you. I'm not going to let your condition isolate me from you. I'm going to touch you and restore your humanity and dignity. How? How? No matter what you have, no matter how bad it is, it can't hurt me. Why? I'm holy. I'm whole. I'm filled with God's holy, loving presence. I'm guided by God's spirit. I am the holy one of God, like it said last chapter. Remember that? In Luke 4, when the demon cried out, I know who you are, the holy one of God. And he says, shh. I'm the holy one, and I'm on a mission for you. Your sin can't infect me. In fact, my holiness is going to affect you. Instead of sin and its effects corrupting me and starting to disintegrate my life, instead, my holiness, my goodness, is going to heal you and reintegrate your life. So what you... What you have may have torn your life apart. What you have may have isolated you from everyone else. And what you have has left you hopeless and hurting and and helpless. But I'm going to touch your life and pull your body and your mind and your soul back together. I'm going to touch your life and bring you back from isolation into a life full of love and laughter. I'm going to touch your life and give you a taste of what's to come. Not the hell of a leper colony. But the heaven of a loved one's hug, a child's voice, a a life welcomed back home. Welcomed back in from the cold, forever freed from the burdens of guilt or fear or shame. This is a statement. This is a picture of heaven's new community. It's a picture of God's kingdom. And this is a picture of what Jesus' ministry is going to be all about. And we're going to see it too. We're going to see the tax collector who's parasitically preying on his own people. He's hated by many, and he's hating others, even hating himself because of the crippling guilt he feels at ripping them all off. And he will be healed by Jesus and brought into this new community. And the prostitute, this woman of ill repute, who's defined by her sexual sin and making a living on broken marriages and battered lives, hiding from the public eye because of the shackles of shame that she feels deep within, She'll be healed and brought into this new community by Jesus. And the blind man who can't even go to worship at the temple, can't work a job, can't support a family, can't see much of a future at all, fear and darkness rule his days. Every day his outlook grows more bleak, but he will be healed and brought into this new community by Jesus. Jesus isn't affected by their conditions. He's not swayed by their guilt, shame, and fear. Jesus embodies God's word and spirit and holiness and grace and mercy and love. Jesus is the coming kingdom incarnate, and he brings that with him, and as he touches the lives of everyone affected by the curse, everything is made new. New creation, transformed by the power of God's creative love. The forces of evil can't resist the light of his goodness. The deadliest diseases run for cover in light of his holiness. His his very presence changes the atmosphere. His touch heals everything. This is why the gospel is such good news. This is why he's worthy of worship. 
Because our God is a good God. Death and sin, disease, they do their worst. Guilt, shame, and fear do their worst. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're worse. But our God is a good God. And he's making all things new. And he isn't afraid of your sin. And he isn't overwhelmed by your addictions. And he isn't shocked by those dark thoughts that you hide from everyone else. He's here to touch your life and make you whole because our God is a good God. You realize the impact of what's happening here? Jesus is showing us this story as a picture of the gospel. This leper from Luke 5, he could never go home again. And like him, we were lepers too, kicked out of our home, unable to ever return again. And the gospel is that Jesus left his home, the ultimate home, heaven, the the thing that we all long for, often through our addictions and, and the lies we've believed, chasing after perpetually some version of heaven. And he left real heaven for us. He's born into this leper colony of our world. Surrounded by people whose lives are falling apart from sin. And he lived among them and he was never infected because he was the cure. And he healed and loved and taught and lived a life held together in perfect integrity. But ultimately, for that cure to be ours, he had to take on our leprosy. And just like Jesus touched this leper in Luke 5, Jesus touched us. But unlike this story where Jesus remained clean and holy and unaffected by the leprosy, ultimately on that cross, he allowed himself to be infected by our leprosy. On that cross, he became sin, who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became all the things that separate us from God and from one another. That long list of sins we talked about earlier, everything ever done to you, everything ever done by you, the things that you hide so that no one knows, he became that. He became the disease. He became the death so that we could be brought back into life. He bore our shame, Scripture says. He became our sin and our guilt. He realized our worst fears and gave into the death that we deserve. I put this up on the screen. Jesus joined the leper colony of humanity so that we could get back home. Jesus was infected so that we could be cured. Jesus was disintegrated so that our lives could be reintegrated. Jesus fell apart so we could be put back together. We were the walking dead, and he took our place on that cross so that you could have his place for eternity. That's the gospel. And if you can believe that's true today, it will change Everything. Jesus is here. Anything can happen. In, in a few moments, we're going to respond and pray and think, think about that and remember that over communion and be prayed for. But before we get there, I, I think there's some application that we need because the law says do, the gospel says done, but the Spirit empowers us to obey and there's some things that we need to pull from this into our daily lives. In John's gospel at the end, right before Jesus, after he's resurrected, before he ascends, he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So Jesus was the Holy One of God on mission for us. Now, if we are sent, like Jesus, into this world, like Kenny preached last week, basically we're like lepers who have been healed and then sent back 
to bring healing to other lepers in the leper colony. But how? Right? It's like, that's a scary notion if you really think about it. I just left the leper colony. I don't want to go back there. What if I catch it again? Well, I got an answer for you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be holy. We're going to hide from the world. We're going to wait for Jesus Christ to return and stay in a perpetual church service. <laughs> I mean, here's the truth. The truth is we get afraid of other people's messes. We want to protect people we love from bad influences. I remember as a teenager, you, you guys heard this? Uh, don't hang out with that person. You become who you hang around with. Yeah. It's true, actually. It's true in many cases, right? But it can also get out of hand if you carry the logic of that all the way out, can't it? I, I, I remember hearing things when I grew up in church, uh, like avoid people who are bad influences. Don't listen to worldly music. Don't watch movies with worldly messages. Don't let this world get into your heart. Don't touch the leper. Don't touch the unclean thing, right? Where does that lead eventually? To Amish-style community in the country? Are we going to deny technology of all sorts? Avoid anything that could possibly even remotely lead to evil? But what about your own heart? How are you going to avoid yourself? I mean, from what I know, you can move out into the wilderness like the Desert Fathers. You can lock yourself up in a monastery like a priest. You can build a community out in the country like the Amish, but you can't avoid sin that way because you can't get away from the person in the mirror. You can't ignore your own broken desires. You can't ignore the the broken heart beating within your chest. It's so often opposed to God and his ways and just wants it my way. So what can you do? Well, what's Jesus do here in the last verse of this story, verse 16? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why does Luke add this piece in here about Jesus going out to the desolate places so often to get alone with his father and pray? I think Luke's not just throwing it in there randomly. He has a purpose in this verse. I think it's because he wants us to notice that Jesus needed to get frequent time alone with his father to be reminded of his identity, to be reconciled with the source of life and to be replenished with everything he needed to live a holy life on mission. Like Jesus was the holy one of God out there on the mission of God for us. I love another verse from Hebrews, verse uh, 26 of chapter 7. Such a high priest truly meets our need on mission. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He's holy. He's holy. He's integrated. He's separated unto God. And yet, he's missional. He's He's touching a hurting world, bringing healing. And as he was sent, we've been sent as God's holy ones on his mission. Let me tell you one of our biggest struggles in the American church. Many of us are either busy living holy lives without mission or missional lives without holiness. It's kind of like you can see culture as a polluted stream, you know, and, <laughs> and all the stuff, the laws, the education, the movies, the, all the cultural uh, icons and things that are developed in our culture flowing in that stream. So what are our choices? Well, one, you can get away from the stream, stop drinking out of it, move out into the wilderness, dig a well, right? But the problem is, millions of people are still drinking from that stream. 
And all that art and curriculum and laws and all that stuff is, is being corrupted by sin. And that's a picture of us being holiness without being missional. Holy without being missional. Or two, what we can do is if we, if, if we don't want to leave, what do we do? Just drink it? Just drink everything that comes out of culture? No. That's hanging in the leper colony without the holiness of God in us. We, we are any different. We'll get infected. That's mission with no holiness. So what, what's the answer? The answer is mission and holiness. The answer is move upstream to the source of the river. Get involved in all the aspects of culture. Get involved in the educational realm. Get involved in the arts. Get involved in all these different things that are producing aspects of culture and help purify the river at its source. Get into politics, not to vie for power, but to pass just laws. Get into the education system and write good curriculums. Challenge the status quo of a world that's drunk on its own wine and high on its own supply. We are called to be salt in a tasteless world. We are called to be light in a dark world. We're called to be a holy nation of priests. That's what 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, just like Jesus, you see that? A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our mission, to be holy people, to be in the world, but not to be of the world. Listen, what do priests do? Priests worship God, and then they touch a broken, hurting humanity and allow them to come into the presence of God. That's the posture of a priest, one hand up, one hand out. Loving God, loving others. Holiness, missionality. That's what a priest does. When we lose one or the other, we're in big trouble. Holiness is not an abstraction, Alan Hirsch says. It's missional. It's redemptive. And it brings back that which was lost. I'll drive it home a little more. This is going to make you guys really happy or make you hate me. One of the two. A couple of generalizations. These are really big, broad strokes. I know it's not this simple. You know, there's always nuance. But generally speaking, what do conservatives tend to care mostly about? Morality. They care about morality, moral issues, doing things the right way. What do liberals tend to care mostly about? Justice. Justice issues. They love other people, fairness, equality. Who's right? Well, I don't know. Like, what do we need? Morality or justice? Both, yeah. <laughs> We need both morality and justice. We need holiness and mission. We need to love God and love others. And we don't need to sacrifice the one for the other. If Jesus loses his holiness, not only will he not heal the leper, he'll be infected by the leprosy. And if we lose our holiness, we lose our saltiness in a world that needs it. Like the reason a leper gets healing is because he admits he's a leper. He falls into the dirt. He realizes his state before a holy God. Dale preached about that a couple weeks ago, didn't he? If we really, really, like the start of Christianity is realizing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And yet what we tend to do, what we, we, we tend to do is we'll, we'll own that for ourselves very often. But if we're not careful, because we, we're in a culture that's so steeped in relativism, so opposed to objective truth, so afraid of offending anyone but God, apparently, that we struggle to take God as word and we look for ways to dance around the text to make it seem like what God is saying here is not clear. 
You didn't need two PhDs to read the Word of God back in the day and understand what sin was. You didn't have to dance around it. It was pretty clear. And yet, in order to placate our world, we are dancing all over the place theologically. The original people who read this book knew what sin was. They had respect for it, and they had even more fear of God. When we try to trust his word to wrap it around our lives and affirm our desires, we miss out on holiness, and then we lose being missional altogether. Okay, that's the heavy part. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is God's holiness in flesh. He loves the sinner, but he doesn't leave them there. And when the lepers show up whose bodies and lives are falling apart and disintegrating and racked with guilt and shame and fear, Jesus touches them, the holiness of God, on a mission not to judge, but to heal, not to condemn, but to love, not to gloss over sin, but to save from it. The church is at its best. Listen, guys, New City's at its best. You and I are at our best when we're filled with God's holiness, avoiding sin, walking in the Spirit with integrity, clinging to the timeless truth of God's Word, praying without ceasing, and reaching out to touch a lost and hurting world that's falling apart with the only thing that can bring it back together, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we aren't holy, we will not only change them, not only not change them, but we will be changed in a bad way. We'll be infected. Jesus loses his holiness, then he's not going to heal the leper, and he's going to get infected himself. And if Jesus loses his mission, he'll never heal the leper, and his holiness will serve no greater purpose than being holy. It's the same with us. One hand up, loving God in holiness. Another hand outstretched, loving others in mission. Mm. How can we do that? How can we do this? How can we reach into a world without being polluted by sin? How can we be on mission without infecting our holiness? How? Three things in closing application here. Number one, your identity. Remembering your gospel identity. 1 Peter 2.9 is identity language. That God has made you holy. He's made you a holy nation of priests. You are holy, not because you do so much stuff to be holy, but because Christ has made you holy with everything he did. That's your identity in Christ. You are a holy nation of priests. It's, it's not something you earn. And our biggest struggle in life is believing that. Seeing ourselves how God sees us. And living like it's true. Two, identity and then the word. Prioritize his word. Listen, his word tells us what to avoid. His word tells us the best way uh, to, to go about human flourishing and to find a life. Let God's word guide you. Get to know it. Jesus knew the word backward and forward. In fact, the way John describes him is he was the word incarnate. And when the enemy came, the, trust me, guys, the enemy knows the word too. And he knows exactly how to twist it and make you believe all kinds of stuff. You really got to know the word of God and you got to be filled with, thirdly, the spirit of God that helps you really know that word. The spirit of God. Follow God's spirit. Jesus did all everything through Luke. Watch it. Just read Luke. Read the first three chapters and look at how often it mentions the Spirit of God. Baptizing him, leading him into the wilderness, bringing him out of the wilderness for ministry. Over and over, the Holy Spirit is leading his life. If you're a Christian, you have the same Holy Spirit Jesus did. Yeah, but you're not automatically full of it all the time. R.C. Sprawl gave a great example of this. He said that a balloon has air in it. 
And when you let all the air out of the balloon, does it still have air in it? Yeah, it's still in there, right? Unless you suck it all out, but you can't do that with the Holy Spirit and a child of God. But how much better is it to be full of the Spirit? How do you get full of the Spirit? You need to do what Jesus did. You need to take time away from ministry, away from people, get alone with God. Learn in life, in the rhythm of life, to yield to the Spirit, to let Him lead the dance of your life. You're filled with the same holy, think about that name, Holy Spirit of Jesus. To be whole, to bring wholeness into the world around you and touch lives like Jesus did. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. You're not lacking anything. All you need to do is trust and surrender again. And remember that this was all purchased for you at a great price and start to live like it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're not isolated from our homes, that we have our home in you, and one day we will be with you forever, that we don't have to be afraid of the leper colony around us because you are able to keep us from falling because you are a good God who has given us the Holy Spirit and the word of truth to keep us from stumbling and getting caught on the wrong road and getting infected by the leprosy of a world around us, and yet we don't get to stand in any kind of pretentious, proud, self-righteous position saying, look at me, I'm clean, I'm not a leper anymore, because just like yesterday, we were lepers. And you loved us, and you saved us, and you healed us and touched our lives, and you're bringing our lives back together. I pray for some people here today that may have never, ever trusted you with their life. I pray that they would allow you, at the leading of your spirit, as you move on their heart and warm their heart, remind them that you love them, that you love them right in their mess, that you would pull them close to you, that they would allow you to touch them and bring healing into their life. I pray for those of us who do know what that's like, but man, we've gotten caught up. We've gotten caught up in life. We've gotten caught up in so many things, and if we're not careful, we've started to become infected again by certain aspects of the world. Help us to come back to you and just receive that simple touch of healing again. I pray you would give us the uh, freedom from pride to be able to come down here and get prayed for by people who love us and want to pray over us. And thank you that your grace is sufficient for everything we're facing. That we don't earn anything by this, but, but that we've been freely given everything because you earned it for us. And we remember that as we partake in communion, as we take that bread and dip it into the wine that represents your body that was disintegrated and broken apart for us so that we could receive healing. And your blood that was poured out for us so that we could be free from everything, the guilt, the shame, the fear that, that binds our lives, God. I pray that you would just remind us of the gospel over communion today that you would have your way in us, that we would be a holy people, a humbly holy people who love this world and are here with the best news ever and that we would see over this next year so many people saved and touched and healed because of your grace at work among us. We love you. Have your way in the next few moments as we pray in Jesus' name.